Hi everyone and welcome back to Discerning Consciousness podcast. I'm your host Ant and today I'm delighted to be joined by the author Michael Ronin. Hi Michael, it's great to have you back um, on on the show again. Um, how, How are you? Hello Ant, thanks so much for having me back. I really appreciate these regular conversations we're having. No, not a problem at all. And um, if you haven't heard um, uh, Michael speak before, um, I'll put some uh, links in the description of our previous uh, recordings. And uh, also you can can get a bit of an understanding of of, uh, what he's about as well, which is really good. So today, Michael, we're going to talk about the art of conscious idleness. And uh, hopefully we're going to share with... um, the audience some of our uh, main ideas what we mean by that because of course um, with any issue we need to begin by framing the problem don't we what, what 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 is it we're dealing with here Michael yeah of course the world we understand and the world we know the world we've grown up with is a very fast paced world yeah um and there, there are pros and cons to that. You know, you get up in the morning and you understand that today is a working day and you go to work and you do your eight or nine hours or whatever it is and you go home and, you know, then and the week continues with work, rest, eat, sleep, work, rest, eat, sleep, and so on. Yeah. Um, so this was never very good to begin with, yeah. but um, uh, it's changing. It's changing now. And um, the problem, you said, so framing the problem essentially you know despite our potential um to be a peaceful and harmonious species we've now come to the point where we've passively allowed multinational billion dollar corporations and of course the the big money players behind them to come to the verge of destroying the planet um and this is something you've obviously addressed in previous podcasts so it's not, not unknown to your listeners, but clearly that the track record of our rulers is um, power grab after power grab. Um, and, you know, despite the, um, the, the, the depravities of COVID-19, you know, the lockdowns, the social, the social distancing, the mask wearing, the no vax, no job mandates, you know, all of that shit, um, you know, and, and of course the junk that they put in the so-called vaccines Despite all of that, we, we still have severe and significant problems ahead of us, as if that wasn't bad enough. Yeah. Um, you know, um, so the, the response to COVID was really just, <clears throat> I would say, the first salvo in the war against humanity by, let's call them the ruling elites, um, in, in their latest plan, which they're calling the Great Reset. And I'm mm-hmm. sure many of you listeners will have come across that term um now after two years of this these shenanigans we're now um in this sort of like interregnum period it's kind of um the the quiet the stillness before the dawn where we can expect the flavor of this war or siege to change um and you could actually liken it to to the like the four horsemen of the apocalypse so we've had the first course we've had plague and pestilence which was covid and um we're now faced with war which is another horse of the uh, one of the horsemen of the apocalypse and and the others are famine and death uh to be rather morbid about it um (laughs) (laughs) um, 
So, you know, the, the problem we're currently facing is that we're increasingly living in an, in a, in an impoverished world. Um, it's a world which is owned and controlled and policed by this ruling elite who are busy looting the planet and who are busy making it uh, increasingly difficult for us to add value to our lives uh, because they through through their their control of the economy you know they control the access to the resources we need to survive and thrive um you know and and even how they manipulate and control our fellow men to believe things that are not in their best interests you know like it, certain false narratives or fake news um you know they control the control system they have a control system in place so you know that, that so so many people are struggling right now and they're stuck and they're stagnant in their lives um and <clears throat> they're trying harder than ever to make progress towards their goals but nothing substantial ever changes for the better and it's so frustrating there's this um sense of futility um and just despair and i i have felt this for myself too the last couple of months i've been going through this as you know and th these, these are these are just exceptionally unique times and the thing is if we don't understand how the um influences um the stresses and the pressures of our world make it harder and harder to live um the life we all deserve then the thing is that um we're going to feel like every day is groundhog day uh, it's not that we didn't feel this before like i was saying you know you've got the 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 grind of the day the daily grind of going to work and coming home but um and I'll, so let me let me just uh, maybe step back a bit i was i was thinking about the best way to describe this is kind of to use an analogy um and what I so it's kind of like a, a rat maze. Um, you know the type of rat maze you find like in such in scientific experiments. Yeah. With yeah. Uh, you've got this unfeeling scientist in a white coat who's observing and noting ratty movements and behaviors on his little clipboard. Um, so th this maze consists. Um, of a you know a, a large platform with a series of vertical walls and it's got this transparent ceiling on it so that he can look down at them mm -hmm. and he delivers an electric shock to those rats who choose a certain corridor to go down um, and he rewards other rats with with food or some sort of prize for choosing those corridors that he does want them to go down and so he trains them he trains them to behave in these certain approved ways and that's how our world is constructed it seems to me um it seems like we have you know we've got we've got a fair degree of choice and agency in our lives even freedom mm. but we can only work with what is here what's been presented to us or created for us um so our world has <clears throat> many choices of corridors to explore um, and, you know, of course, as we go through life, we discover the ones which contain rewards and punishments. Um, and so the reason I'm using that analogy is that uh, what, one of these corridors is being taken away from us 
um, the, the, the mad scientist is, is actually in the process of removing one of those choices. Uh, and that's the notion of wagery. I, and I use that term wagery. It's, it's, it's essentially, it's, you know, when you sell your labor for currency or money. Um, that's being removed right now. Uh, I mean, th this particular corridor, you know, if, if, if you're unlucky enough, wager is essentially, if you're unlucky enough, you find yourself running on hamster wheels and jumping through hoops to get to your next meal. If you, if you can't actually earn a lot of money, that's what you do. If you can, if you're fortunate or ruthless enough, then historically you're graced with the rewards of power and money and relevance. Um, and if you, uh, if you choose a different corridor, which the, the scientist doesn't want you to choose, in other words, which is outside of what's socially sanctioned, um, you'll, you'll probably be labeled a loser. You may even be, um, you're faced with a diminished ability to generate an income. Um, and you have, you know, social disapproval from other people. Um, but so this particular corridor, you know, what, what happens when that scientist, that um, this social architect, if you like, <clears throat> in that white coat blocks off that particular rack corridor and you're no longer able to exchange your labor for currency, um, where he reduces the value of that currency to zero. And as crazy as that sounds, um, and I know it sounds crazy, this is what human beings are now facing. You know, we, we've always known um, mass unemployment. We know what that feels like. Sure. Um, but um, what we're experiencing right now is something of an order of magnitude bigger. We're, we're now facing um, an economic collapse in slow motion. Mm. Um, so <clears throat> it's not... It's not uncommon. It's not uncommon for nation states to collapse. Um, and you'll remember this, I'm sure that e even that block of nation states, you know, the Soviet Union, yeah. it collapsed in, I think it was in the 80s, in recent times. And during the collapse of the Soviet Union, it didn't actually feel like a collapse. It's, it, you know, it's not like a war no. where, where you have to uh, um, uh, run for cover or fend off the enemy. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't a Mad Max scenario either. You know, you didn't get people in the streets looting and so on. In the Soviet Union, the people, they basically just sat around doing nothing uh, because they had no money to spend. It was boring. It, and, and that was the, the flavor of life. It was just boring and frustrating. Um, now, <clears throat> if you look around you in our world, then you can see... Uh, uh, I mean, I, I live in the USA, even though I'm, I'm British, but I'm yeah, sure it's yeah. the same in the UK as well. There's no longer this kind of like buzz of movement and industry anymore. It's kind of coming to an end. Mm. Um, at least that's how it looks to me. I mean, competitive trade, um, we've known, we, we've lived with competitive trade since actually Neolithic times. We've it's dominated human human activities. We, we it's competitive trade, and um, instead, it's changing now. Small small businesses in, here in the USA we call them mom and pop businesses, but mm. small businesses are being killed off mm. by, you know, lockdown measures, 
um, intentional supply chain disruptions and so on. And of course, it, the, there are secular things going on as well. So um, we've got automation and robotics and computers and AI. And, you know, pretty soon um, there really won't be that much of a need for traditional workers anymore. You would just need workers to maintain the machines. And uh, on top of that, I mean, we have a metasystemic crisis, but on top of all of that, we, we have, as you as we were talking about before the show, we've got skyrocketing food and fuel prices. Mm. And, you know, I, I'm thinking and, and projecting that hyperinflation is just around the corner just because of all this insane money printing that, that we've been witnessing. Um, you know, people's wages are being depressed and their savings are being reduced and eventually they'll be re those savings will be reduced to zero. Mm. Um, you know, the currency is being watered down to such an extent. Um, it's becoming, it's becoming completely devalued. Mm. So, so this is what I'm seeing. And once the economy and the dollar have been, and of course the pound have been destroyed, the only uh, and only the big corporations remain. Um, you know the, the the central banks are going to be up to their next shenanigans, and they'll 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 come rushing in, uh, in their in their Superman costumes to save them, <laughs> and they're they're going to be bringing in um, a new because because they have themselves crashed the economy and crashed the dollar, they're going to have to create something else. And what's being planned at the moment is um, like it, it sounds. It sounds like CBDs, which is nice, but it's not. This it, it's CBDCs, which is uh, central bank digital currencies. Yeah. Um, and they and but this this is not like currency as we understand. It's not simply um, a fancy name for the same thing. It's actually more akin to um, digital coupons, um, like gift cards. <laughs> but you can only you can you can only use this currency to purchase certain things that they deem permissible to purchase uh and this sounds you know like an incredible idea but this is what they're actually planning right now um so you know they come in in their superman costumes and they go oh my god i'm so sorry uh oh my god it's inflation you know who would have thunk it you know it's not our fault no one could have predicted this but you know what? We've got your best interests at heart, and we're going to. I'm sorry, but we're going to have to redesign the financial system from the ground up. Um, you know, meaning from the top down. Uh, and so, you, you know, you know what we'll do? We're going to give you a programmable digital currency. But because we care so much about the environment, we're going to like put this carbon spending limit on top of it because you know we're so concerned about climate change. Um, so, you know, this is how they're going to paint themselves, I think. And, um, they're also going to, I, I, I imagine because everybody's going to be out of work, you know, they have to bring in some form of universal basic income, um, mm. which is like U U UBI is the, the term for it. But of course they'll pay you your UBI with this digital currency. Um, and of course, you know, it's basic, it's universal basic income. It's just, it's, it's only going to keep you functioning. Mm. We're, we're just going to be artificially maintained at a very, very low level. Mm. Not, that, not that working for a wage is or was less artificial, but you know, it's what we were used to. That's what we were used to. 
So essentially we're, I think we're gonna be put out to pasture. We're gonna be put on life support and we're just going to be kept alive so that we don't take to the streets because um, you know, they, they, want to, they want to pacify us to a, a, a fairly great extent, I think. So I, I've been rambling on. Let me pause. There's only a few points I want to thank you for sharing that. It's interesting, uh, Michael. I think with the UBI, Universal Basic Income, we can see that in the UK, the furlough payments and in America, the stimulus checks, they were effectively a forerunner of that. So I was getting people used to idea uh, the whole idea of a universal basic income. My point with regards to the creation of central bank digital currencies, which, by the way, for the listeners, isn't conspiracy theory talk. Um, uh, I saw um, there's an article last year I saw about the head of the Bank of the in England saying that's what they're working towards. And I'm sure the head of the Fed has said the same. So this isn't conspiracy theories. The, the you know, the boffins in the central bank, that's what they're actually talking about. Um, so, again, we can't say that we haven't been we haven't been told. I just want to add to your point, Michael, by saying there always has to be a sweetener. And the sweetener that I think will be for the general public will be a debt relief or debt jubilee. So that will get that, that's what I think. So to say, well, we'll wipe all your your credit card debt if you, you know, as part of taking on this new system. People go, oh, my God, these central bankers who, as we say, they're the architects of all of this, as they always yeah, are. They've saved us. <laughs> that's my that's me being deeply cynical no i agree <laughs> because there has yeah. to be a sweetener yes you know. yeah we have to we have to they have to make sure that we look at them as as if they are our saviors savior. yeah 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 i mean the other thing just lastly on this point before we move on uh is there's some people that say this transfer to this type of system would be so dramatic especially if people say lost a lot of money or percentage of money on deposit as savings um could the powers that be the globalists the hidden unknowns whatever you want to call them could are they looking towards get my point out here could they get away with this in a non-general crisis situation so are they looking to try and create a, a sort of world war three type scenario and then they'll spring the new central bank uh, digital currencies upon us, or is that something they could do outside that context? What's your take on that? No, I think it's. I mean, Naomi um, Naomi Wolf wrote the the book, The Shock Doctrine. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, and that's kind of what they have to do. They have to yeah. keep us in a state of of limbic reactivity, mm. um, so that we're constantly fearful, and we don't know where the next attack is going to come from, and we're we're going to be shaking in our boots and looking for someone to save us yeah and at that point we'll pretty much accept whatever is on the table um uh, i i mean the the thing is i mean it's not like <laughs> and again this is nuanced i mean this is this is the the thing um one of my one of my things is that i i look at things in a very nuanced way i mean in this current world i mean everything is very political <laughs> so it's a dying art michael <laughs> so you know that there's if we didn't have a ruling elite, I actually think digital currency would be wonderful. Um, yeah, but yeah, exactly. It's who's in control of it, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, you wouldn't have to, you wouldn't have to carry around smelly banknotes in your in your wallet. 
I mean, with, with the touch of your card, you could just automatically pay for goods and services. You know, in and of itself, technology is it's neutral, yeah, is neutral, yeah. Um, it's um, amoral, hmm. uh, not immoral, it's amoral. Hmm. Uh, it's only when technology is applied for nefarious ends that it becomes immoral. Hmm. So, um, <clears throat> you know, the question is now, um, with this kind of immorality happening all around us, what, what do we do after we've been looted? And, mm. the and you know, we're, we're faced with an impoverished world. Um, a, uh, to be quite frank, a, a joyless, restrained and mechanical future, um, which includes this manufactured austerity. What do we do about that? And, you know, ideally... Um, people would rise up and reclaim their freedom, ideally. And of course, that was the subject of our previous podcast. Yeah. Um, but, you know, to be quite honest, it doesn't seem to be happening right now. So uh, we have to prepare ourselves mentally and emotionally and, and spiritually and materially for these circumstances which are not in our control. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's a form of radical acceptance. Um, to use like the Buddhist in a, in a kind of Buddhist sense, which is about accepting the world as it really is and not resisting the reality of the moment, mm. uh, you know, okay. So, you know, you've been dealt shitty, you've been dealt shitty cards and you have to play the, <laughs> you don't like your hand, but you have to play out your hand to the best of your ability. And to be quite honest, you know, that's what most of humanity does most of the time anyway. Mm. Um, we, we don't like it because, and we, we don't like our situation, but because we're not coordinated enough with each other to change our circumstances, to better suit our nature, most of us just sit around waiting for circumstances to improve. Mm. That's, that's what we do. You know, we, we might get on the streets and do a little protesting, um, do some shouting, wave some banners, but, you know, then we go home again. Um, and the, 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 the architecture remains rather than, you know, cutting the Gordian knot, which was the subject of our last podcast. Yeah. You know, where movements for structural change do emerge, where people do um, vociferously object to what's going on, we can see, we can observe that they are rapidly slapped back down again. So mm. that's the reality. That's our reality right now. I, I'd yeah. rather... I'd rather it wasn't like that so in part what you're saying then as i see it michael is that through the deliberate economic destruction much of the western world um sort of through the policies that we've heard uh, from the world economic forum i mean we can argue you know till the day is end how much real power they do and don't have mm. the likes of klaus Schwab, bill gates et al but is it what you're saying is because of this economic destruction and the move towards automation, people are going to have a lot more time on their hands. And this is this whole issue of, um, you know, being consciously idle, shall we say. And that's mm. something that a lot of many millions, if not billions of people are going to have to map and navigate. Is that kind of like um, what you're saying? Yeah. And, and again, yeah. It, well, it's... Um... It's not much fun to contemplate this. No, you know, no. we're, we're talking about something which is um, really 
doesn't fill the heart with hope, doesn't fill you with, you know, the good vibes, and it doesn't feel like you're fighting back to create a better world. Um, but, you know, we have to talk about this. We have to become aware of the truth of our situation and directly see it and feel it and hear it and understand our circumstances and understand both sides of the equation. You know, mm. either we take action or we don't take action. You know, mm. understand both sides of that equation. What happens if we don't take action? You know, um, of changing our, uh, if, if we don't change our world in order to create better social circumstances or, or, or what happens where we, we adapt to the circumstances that are being presented to us where we find ourselves in. Um, so, you know, it, it's necessary. I think it's necessary to have this conversation, even mm. though it's relatively glum to have it. <laughs> we, we need to assess how we might live our lives in increasingly worsening situations and circumstances where, you know, we, we may be less able to flourish, but at least we can reach a state of genuine um, alignment, let's say. It's, it's, it's like, it's a form of stoicism. Um, hmm. You know, you and I, as lovers of freedom, we, we naturally have a resistance to the increasingly authoritarian facets of of the great reset which are being implemented or or about to be implemented mm. and um it's it's at least for myself and, and i'm sure for you too it's emotionally it's overwhelming and it requires special preparation i think mm. to, to contemplate our future and not to um go, go insane doing so you know we have to manage our emotions when dealing with something so unmanageable. And we're on this collision course with the future um, and it's accelerating. Um, we have, and we talked about this last time, it was, uh, you know, there, there is a meta crisis, a meta systemic crisis, and it's increasingly difficult to make sense of the world and change direction at the species level, you know, to be quite honest, and to manage how we, um, engage it engage in it to bring about positive outcomes mm. so um you know uh, it uh, human beings are incredibly beautiful species uh, but we have this one thing which i think uh, other species don't have and that is hope and um hope and fear you know fear is the enemy we we, we know this because you know when we're fearful we we react Mm. Uh, like the shock doctrine we have this limbic reactivity we, we, when we're afraid we act and react irrationally to things because you know we, we 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 don't want to think it through we don't think it through we don't want to think it through but hope hope is an enemy as well as strange as that sounds it sounds kind of wrong <laughs> you mean hopium as it's yeah yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. you know every, everyone likes to to have hope um uh, you know, you've got the phrase, don't give up, don't, don't give up hope. But, you know, again, th 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 there's a problem with hope and hopium. Hope, hopium deludes us and we need to have yeah. a dispassionate view of things. Um, you know, we, we, we try to protect ourselves, not only against, you know, the threats to our life and limbs, but also against the danger of losing our minds. Mm -hmm. And to make to make that possible, we delude ourselves. We we 
we make that awareness bearable by deluding ourselves. We, we have both evolved this facility, this faculty within us, which is, it's a, it's a miracle of consciousness. Uh, you know, it's hope. We have hope. Um, we, we also have hopium as well. And the difference between the two is that <clears throat> hope, I think, is rooted in reality. Mm. Um, and hopium is not. Um, and from hope emerges the wisdom to take effective action. Um, and it's uh, and hope is like a counterweight to our own sense of fragility, that the kind of that heavy sense of our own fragility. Mm. And it's about holding out for that better solution mm. for the task of staying alive and remaining sane. That's what we do. So, you know, that that's that's kind of why um, I think it's important to recognize that we are in a predicament right now. Our species is in a predicament and we shouldn't stick our heads in the sand and hope that things get better, but actually have a conversation about it. Mm. And thank you for that. I think one aspect of this predicament is um, we have to be realistic in that, you know, in the alternative media and for conscious people, there has been this kind of almost rightly so a kind of mini euphoria in that we managed to push back against government and the, uh, and the, and the health authorities in terms of um, COVID and, you know, the, 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 uh, the narrative unraveled and a lot of the worst excesses of the um, COVID measures have, have, have been pulled back. Um, but as you were saying, the, the same structures of control still exist. So yeah. is it a little bit like we're in a situation where the war continues, but they're just, you know, bringing supplies to the front line and kind of like the battle's going quiet at the moment. I mean, I don't want to be too, what's the word, uh, apocalyptic about it, but we have to be, we have to be realistic in that also, you know, as I've said numerous times, sorry to all people on my channel, um, is a switch has happened and now basically you know a lot of people who were beginning to question government in terms of their overreach and covid now um you know are extolling the virtues of western liberal democracy in the, in their desire to hate vladimir vladimir putin you know so the way in which the mass of people and i don't mean to be horrible saying that you know can be so easily programmed so yes we've had this victory we've pushed back and I think that's because they overplayed their hand. We still, like you said, Michael, need to be aware of the situation. And just lastly on this point, I think in terms of globalism or globalization un un unraveling, which essentially this is what is happening as part of this so-called much vaunted great reset, there are opportunities within that because I think the system essentially is parasitic. Yes. And I think now what's happening is in it's going to essentially destroy itself by destroying the host, like all parasites. And I think in their arrogance, these Illuminist groups and all these various power structures and the rest of it, and off-world, as I believe there are off-world involvement as well, which we'll is leave it like that. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of opportunities for us. And there are certain types of people more in the kind of spiritual dimension who are saying they're not going to get away with their great reset. And, you know, not that, you know, Jesus or Yeshua is going to come down or Mohammed or whatever, but 
you know, it's not going to turn out like they think it is where they're going to get, you know, complete asymmetric control of human beings. So it is hard, though, Michael, to to keep that grounded hope and not fall into hopium, you know, that the star seeds and uh, are going to come down and make it all OK. It, that is a difficult road, I think, that many of us are walking right now or path. Because yes. I know I quite often will block out or uh, try to block out the kind of worst case scenario which would be something like the great film from the road you know a combination of the road and mad max mm. um but we have to be yeah you're right we have to be realistic we have to have uh this kind of discussion because there are kind of two future options or two paths available as to us which is where the mass of humanity kind of embraces the great reset or we embrace true freedom. And one thing we do know, it's kind of going to be very messy, isn't it? It is, it is. And, and whether or not they win or lose, whether or not there is a, you know, a wonderful turning point just around the corner, uh, what I call in my book, a you catastrophe, which is yeah, the opposite a phrase, yeah. of a catastrophe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hopefully there will be some, some form of you catastrophe, but whether or not there is or not, um, you know, we have to meet the moment fully and coherently, clearly, and have a psychology and a strategy to meet it. Um, in, in certainly in the short to medium term, we're going to be living with less. Um, and I'm reminded of, of um, Gandhi, who um, in, in Imperial India, before they overthrew the British, mm. um, they went through a period of mass starvation <clears throat> in India. And what Gandhi did is that he went around from village to village and um, gathered people together to talk to them about um, fasting. Yeah. You know, ac actually um, approaching um, in, uh, the not eating from a spiritual perspective, which is what fasting is. Um, and, and this sounds incredibly counterintuitive. Here were pe people were here starving and wanting to eat and unable to eat. And there, here's this guy talking to them about how to fast. <laughs> yeah. And you can imagine that to our ears, that sounds absolutely absurd. Yeah. But from his perspective, from a spiritual perspective, it made complete sense. So rather than being a victim to one's circumstances, um, embrace those circumstances and approach it from a higher perspective, um, from your higher self from a, a spiritual perspective. Um, th there's also, um, I don't know if you ever read um, the series of novels, uh, Dune, Dune? I haven't, no. no. I've seen the film, but I haven't, yeah. no, yeah. So in, 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 uh, in those novels, um, there's this uh, desert dwelling people called the Fremen. Yeah. And um, they live in the desert. They, 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 literally recycle their own urine to drink they have these kind of bladders under their clothing uh, which recycles the water into a drinkable form uh, because water is so scarce on their planet mm. and um so in, in in these books they also approach it from a, a spiritual perspective and they re revere this water as the water of life because of its scarcity mm. um and so for them, you know, and for us, of course, it's a, it's a healthy mentality in times of scarcity to have this sort of stoic kind of stance. To, and so for us, 
you know, we, we used to guzzle the delights of civilization, and now we're being required to sip those delights in the future, I think. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, let's think back. I mean, for many, um, for many people, wor working and saving for the future in regular employment was our reason for existing. Sure. And, you know, this, this is the boomer generation is particularly um that's what they did they they saved and saved and saved and to a certain extent they they rapidly spent their money but they didn't really enjoy the present moment and th this is the perspective i think that um certainly you know that there are many of your listeners who have a very very spiritual perspective for whom this won't be a surprise but to actually um be fully present in the moment mm. um, and you know if we're constantly <clears throat> foregoing leisure because we're working to build up some sort of imaginary future and we're working around the clock and grinding ourselves down to the ground you know it's 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 um it's hard to say we'll ever stop and enjoy that future that we're creating at, mm. at, at a future point and i'm as guilty of this as anybody <laughs> you know you can take delayed gratification too far mm. um, you know that and um and the thing is, you know, uh, instead of, um, I mean, I, I, I focus on creating a better world. That, that's what my writing is about. And so it's very difficult for me to, to contemplate something which is not about that. But instead of focusing simply on, you know, the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible, mm. um, we might try to reorient our use of time more towards the present as a mm. spiritual path, we might shift the balance from, you know, this kind of future-focused stance to kind of a, a more now-focused stance towards life. This is what life is is presenting to us. It's kind of an opportunity. Mm. Uh, it's an enforced idleness. So in, instead of always asking ourselves, you know, how can I use my time to enhance my future or our futures? Instead, we might ask ourselves, how can I use my time to enjoy the present? Mm. And I, I'm, I'm sure there's like this healthy middle way between the two. And it's going to be different for each person. You know, some, pe some people are actually rather too Epicurean and never plan for the future. And they just live in the moment. They never save at all. You know, they, they're all about living in the now. And of course, you know, at a certain point, they find, oh, shit, I've got, I've got no reserves. I have no savings. Yeah. Um, I'm about to go destitute. <laughs> You know, so there is a middle, there is a middle way between the For two. Sure. Yeah. But the thing is with enforced, enforced idleness, we're being presented with enforced idleness and, yeah. and we can change it into conscious idleness. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're no longer going to be in that old world of um, kind of a default, a default work uh, mode. It's going to be a default leisure mode instead. Um that's the reality, I think, you know, and as, as very productive people, I'm a, I consider myself a very productive person. Mm. You know, we tend to go about our weeks, you know, sort of outlining our tasks and our goals that we want to accomplish for the week and checking them off. But, you know, that's assuming there's work that's going to be done um, in a world where we're being put out to pasture you know, perhaps we might start our weeks instead by identifying all the leisure activities we want to do. Um, 
and doing so consciously and then you know let the work that we have to do that we must do fill in the gaps around our leisure activities mm. and you know for me that that's hard for me to accept because it accepts the fact that there's this elephant elephant sitting in the corner of the room <laughs> yeah because sure. you know the reality the reality of our relative powerlessness to change the world into something fit for human consumption mm. um, that that's difficult for me to ignore but it's either that or sink into depression or despair you know there's there's only so much you can do to feel the pain to be with the pain before you have to cope with life um before you have to take a chill pill um, yeah. you know before you have to go on youtube and watch cat videos <laughs> um, so yeah. you know the, the clinical name for this is is <clears throat> sorry i'm losing my voice here let me just take a drink of water no problem <clears throat> the, the the clinical name for this is is um a, a word called titration titration right and it basically means rather than trying to do everything at once um you know where, where you you have a um a cathartic experience and and you go in all guns you actually do it in bite-sized pieces and um this would be a more spiritual approach to, to leisure uh, and um, um, it's I should say that there's a difference in in fiddling while Rome burns and leisure <laughs> in, the, in yeah. the truest sense you know sure. I'm not I'm not suggesting that we fiddle while Rome, Rome burns <laughs> but the thing is you know we've kind of lost touch with true leisure and yeah. we've we've replaced it with escapism yeah I would say play I'd say yeah. true leisure is a form of play like um you know that children have up until about the age of seven but yeah until the school system yeah grabs them but yeah, yeah. Just, you know, uh, just sorry Karen. no no you you are quite right i mean children children are actually better suited to managing their emotional life than we are as adults essentially in that yeah. respect yeah. you know sure. as adults i guess the difference between leisure and escapism is that it, um, we can put leisure on the calendar <clears throat> um, if it's not on, on the calendar it's just killing time um, that that's the distinction you know you if you if you if you decide to go for a long walk with a friend um, that's something you would schedule and you, you you'd look forward to it but you know 20 minutes of um, doom scrolling through telegram um, it might be useful but it's stressful mm. and you know it's unlikely to make it into your weekly planner mm. um and um you know the the distracted person isn't really choosing it at all their attention has been grabbed and commandeered uh, from them um and i guess if we're looking at this from a spiritual perspective what what people the world over i would say that what they're struggling for <clears throat> it's not greater comfort but it's a life of greater meaning yeah absolutely uh, we're not looking for greater leisure time we're looking for greater amounts of time to take meaning in the world um, people want to live in a society where they're needed mm. where they can give their gifts um, 
and it's becoming increasingly difficult to do that so you know the question we have to ask ourselves is is how can a person have dignity if there's no place for them in the world if they're if they're, if they're being put out of pasture yeah how can we all i mean we all really I, I feel that we're here to live our dharma and you know the system just makes it so difficult to do that to, to live or live our purpose if you want to if you want to put it another way um, really um sorry i interrupted there michael sorry uh, um in terms of um this transition to a new economy which i think was going to happen anyway because this model of work for 40 years do something you hate and then have 20 years doing things you want to do if you're lucky well that's it's such an incoherent model i i believe that that was gonna that was gonna kind of because of its incoherence it was gonna kind of break down anyway irrespective of external economic conditions i mean my take on this idea of moving towards a sort of uh, economy or culture if you prefer where people have more time because there's less productive work to be done this is a bit sinister forgive me folks i think this is where the whole metaverse comes in yes the whole, yeah. um, because i think Sorry, this is me. I'm getting into like Doctor Strangelove territory. Um, right, the controllers, the uh, whatever you want to call them. Uh, uh, someone I follow, Thomas Sheridan, calls them uh, author. He calls them the laws of perception, which I like. Let's call them the laws of perception. I like that. The laws of perception. They know they're bringing in a system. We're going to attempt to bring a system in that means that people are going to have a lot less disposable income. And probably a lot less economic choices in life. Now, so how do you basically do that? Uh, whereby the people will generally accept it. So, as we said earlier, one of it will be uh, a, uh, a debt jubilee or, or forgiven, uh, forgiveness, debt forgiveness, whatever form that might take, whether it includes mortgages, whether it includes credit card debt, you know, devils in the detail. But I think what they'll try and do also, and this relates also to the new generation of DNA altering jabs, got to be careful we don't get this video pulled by the censors. Um, I think the whole creation of the metaverse, artificial reality, I'm not an expert from it, sorry people, but they're going to try and check, take people's reality down that path so they're not even cognizant of the worst excesses mm. of the economic fallout of the Great Reset, if that makes sense. So yeah. basically, yeah. people are going to be taken to a whole new level of delusion and lack of <clears throat> lack of consciousness. Well, I think that's what the plan is, because as we know, the metaverse already, people are buying properties in the metaverse. They're marrying in the metaverse. It's going to be a multi-trillion pound <laughs> thing. So that's where the next level of control, I should say, yeah, their plan yeah. that's I, I see we can't talk about this new economic system in without talking about the metaverse not that i want to big it up and say that it's going to happen but i think we need to be yeah. aware of it yeah. that's just my take on that it's funny you say that i'm reminded of the movie that bruce willis movie um i think it was called surrogates yeah it's a great film yeah very short um, film but yeah good film yeah it's actually yeah. quite a good movie I, I, it is I, a good I, film yeah i recommend people to get it out and look at it yeah. but it kind of um it kind of uh uh, sort of uh, predicts the sort of world we might be living in with a yeah metaphor. it does yeah 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 um, I, I mean i don't mean to um i don't mean to be too doomy but i think that is um the dark sorcerers or whatever i think 
I think that is the that is the way in which they want to shift things, basically, because also they can make loads more money out of it. On one level, we know that's what it, you know, uh, comes down to at the end of the day. But yeah, yeah. I mean, we will see, won't we? <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, I'm in a I'm in a men's group, and one one of the questions that we had in our men's group um, uh, recently was, <clears throat> you know, if you had a few million uh, dollars or pounds in your bank account, yeah. Um, and you know what would you do with it how would you spend it or invest it oh, to give yourself the life that you'd always dreamed of um, and it's a fun question to answer you know if you if you didn't have any restrictions on what you wanted to do with your time how would you fill that time but you know now let, let's ask uh, maybe a more sober question which would be yeah. um, if you had only just enough money to survive but that survival was guaranteed in the form of a UBI how would you fill the time available to you to give yourself a life worth living mm. and to maybe consider that like in the spiritual perspective that Gandhi considered it um, you know you're faced with a, an impoverished world but you don't just simply uh, um, lapse into despair and misery but you ask yourself the question um, how can I live my how can I live a life worth living to the best of my ability um, now, you know, clearly the book that I wrote was aimed at the sort of the, the question of, of um, uh, find what makes you come alive and go do it. Yeah. And <laughs> it was aimed at, and aimed at the sort of person and that sentiment. But what do you do? What do you do when your circumstances limit your agency? Mm. And, you know, when you have to go through a period of enforced idleness and what do you do when you know where you're going? You know where you know what you, you've answered the question you know what do i do if i had all the money in the world but you 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 know where you're going but you don't have any fuel in your tank yeah you know, that, that's a more difficult question to answer yeah i, I mean because of course um people who certain spiritual types of people would say well if you harness the power of the universe which is inside us all then we can manifest sorry manifest um, anything that we desire, even in the midst of economic chaos. Mm. Um, you know, it sounds fanciful, doesn't it? But, um, you know, the, the power of the universe, as I just say, does reside within us. But how billions of people would be able to do that, I don't know. <laughs> right. um, you know, I don't know, really, to be honest. Um, I mean, there, there have been um, a few, um, I, I remember when thousands and thousands of, of young I think they were Chinese Buddhist uh, children meditated for world peace mm. um, and of course you know if, if that level of manifestation resulted in world, world peace then you could actually point to um, cause and effect mm. uh, but it doesn't seem to me that that energy has manifested the sort of world we want to live in mm. Mm, yeah that's very that's very very true so, yeah. Again, so, it's, it's, that, it's that phrase we used last time which was you know show me the money um if, if it works then show me how it works yeah yeah um just something else this idea of um enforced idleness that um that i want to want to want to bring up bring up of course and we spoke a, a wee bit about this before we started today's uh, episode and this is idea of course um, historically, going back many hundreds of years, the ruling class 
you know, back when it was the so-called divine rule of kings, um, one of their main concerns has always been um, to kind of squash any revolutionary zeal or revolutionary ideologies whereby their power base could be could be um, you know removed and so how do you think you know um, kind of uh, the ruling class if you like how would they would they be concerned about wide-scale idleness uh, economic uh, activity or would they just hope that you know the bread and circuses the uh, the virtual reality will be enough to assuage people from thinking for themselves about how they're being economically screwed yet again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they've, they've been studying us for thousands of years. They, they have a good idea of what makes us tick. Hmm. Um, if you remember back to the Arab Spring, that was set off because of food shortages. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, you know, they understand this. If, if you want to rule the world, you have to understand what makes human beings tick. Mm. So what you don't want to do is piss them off to the extent that they will take to the streets and, and overthrow Mubarak or whoever it is. Mm. Um, you want them docile enough, um, yet subjugated enough that they will, they will become so cowed, that they will um, become so diminished in their own eyes that they will not take action to remedy their situation. Um, and they can look back at human history. Um, you know, the story has been one of enormous repression and oppression and yeah. suffering. And um, life was um, a shit show for, for men and women alike. Um, we know we, we've been through countless revolts and rebellions, you know, the Shays Rebellion, Spartacus, um, the French Revolution, all of these sorts of things. They all failed essentially because they failed to, re to resolve the structure of civilization itself. They failed to, re to resolve the question of um, class antagonism, the haves and the have-nots. They, they left in place, they, they got many concessions, but they left in place that arrangement of um, rulers and ruled, mm. um, which yeah. kind of, I guess what it kind of brings up to how we want to wrap up our podcast, which is, 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 is the twin paths that are before us. Mm. So, <clears throat> you know, we've been talking about one of these paths, but the one path is to embrace the Great Reset. And we have that as a choice. We can make that choice and approach it um, as a choice, consciously, uh, where we accept what we have accepted for millennia, which is that we are ruled and we are ruled by rulers, only, only now more so than ever. We're just it's, livestock, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. The, the other, of course, is the subject of our last podcast, which is to embrace freedom and be the architects of our, of our own world, the world our hearts know is possible. But the thing is, in order for that to happen, <clears throat> either we have to manifest it spiritually, as you were suggesting, or we need to, in some way, coordinate our actions with others who feel the same way. Mm. So th those, those are the options that are available to us and everything else is essentially a sideshow. You know, Epstein is a sideshow compared oh, yeah. to we need to, yeah. you know, it's interesting, um, you know, Will Smith slapping Chris Rock is a sideshow, but it's what they want us to think and talk about. Of course. Yeah. There's really only one thing we need to be thinking and talking about right now, and that is either accepting the reality we find ourselves with or changing it. Mm -hmm. Um, now, you and I 
you know, there are those of us who are outside the matrix. And like many of your listeners, no doubt, there are many who are awakening to our circumstances and who have a solid understanding of themselves and a solid understanding of the way the world works mm. and have uh, shaped their lives accordingly, who are interested and passionate about a more holistic vision for our species to flourish. And, you know, there are those who are not, who are hopelessly or helplessly lost to themselves and uh, for whom they encounter no force strong enough to challenge their preconceived reality, those people. You know, th those are the ones who receive their instructions from establishment authority. Mm. Um, but, you know, there, there are those in the middle as well. There, there are those who have this kind of vague feeling of discontent, and they're the ones who are confused. They're either confused or scared or compliant um, but, you know, who maybe they, they, they just go along to get along. They, they don't really have a very strong sense of direction in their lives. You know, they may be very well aware of their own suffering. Mm. You know, they want things to be better, but they're sitting back and they're waiting for others to take the lead before they would ever consider shifting from their routine lives. Mm. Um, you know, but, you know, it's actually these people that the, the, these are the ones who are going to save the world, in my view, quite surprisingly, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not going to be the ones who have exited from the matrix. No. Um, and the reason I say that is um, <clears throat> I was actually listening to a, another podcast this week, um, um, Hidden Hidden Brain podcast. It's actually... Oh, a, a, I'll make a note of that. Thank you. Sounds interesting. Um, but he had a guest on, um, um, I think it was Erica Chen... I, I forget her name now. Mm. Uh, she, she was a political scientist um, and she has studied revolutions and insurrections um, and has found that <clears throat> nonviolent nonviolent movements for emancipation or freedom, they were successful when something like 10 or 11% of the population were not passively supporting, but actively involved in those movements. It, requ it requires 10% of the population. So like 6 million people in Britain or 36 million people in the USA. That's the sort of level of um, activists you would need. The, the good thing about that is that the upside is that it takes, a, it, it takes way less than 50% of the population to turn the tables on its rulers. Yeah. But the, down, the downside is that you have to win the hearts and minds of those people in the middle ground, those people I was describing, they're, they're kind of a, they're kind of like swing voters. You know, they 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 they're pulled towards, you know, who's ever on the upslope. Um, but because diehard activists, <clears throat> they're always in a minority, um, just by the nature of it, and you know they can't make change happen by themselves. Mm. So you know, um, I guess the takeaway here kind of rather sadly, is to, is to um, forego reaching those people who are under mass formation and um, ignore them to a certain extent, because the ones you want to be speaking to are those swing voters. They're the ones, you know, your family members or your friends, the people in your circle who may not yet agree with you, um, but who are open to gentle conversation, let's say. 
And that's yeah. kind of tricky. It's Sorry. tricky for me because I'm, I'm very passionate. Um, <laughs> and of course, you know, we live in a world where people are shouting at each other about their opinions and their ideas. And, you know, compassionate and friendly and respectful conversation. It's needed, but it's not really present so much in our times. But it, it, this is what we need to do. We need to treat other people as human beings and, and treat their opinion, their opinions and their beliefs as worthy of respect, even if it differs from ours, because, you know, we hold space for those opinions and beliefs to shift when the time is right. Exactly, because it's only in that kind of space in a conversation are they going to be open to new perspectives or new opinions. You can't, you can't browbeat them right. to persuade them to your, you know, our individual uh, point of view. I tried that. <laughs> i tried that back in the day you will listen to my truth yeah. about 9 11 7 right, 7 right. yeah they get quite angry so i learned yeah. the hard way but it is yeah. um i agree i agree with this kind of group of people in that they're the types of people during the last two years who would have worn the mask uh right. probably complied with a lot of the covid uh guidelines and all the rest of it but kind of thought well there's something wrong about this I, I feel like there's something wrong but I'm just going along with it or you know they weren't happy but they got jabbed because well it means I can go on holiday with my family exactly. um, but they felt that there was something there was something wrong about it so yeah I wouldn't say I agree with you I don't think they were part of the mass formation psychosis I think they you know if they had more sort of confidence or wherewithal within themselves they would have you know um what's the word, put up more resistance or question things more, I should say. So, yeah, I don't think those types of people are completely lost. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I agree with your analysis. Um, and you meet people where they are. You, you don't, yeah. not where you want them to be. Yeah. And, of course, we're, we're all tired of people proclaiming um, their singular rightness. Uh, <laughs> and a little humility would help, even from me. I mean, I, I have to walk as well so that sounds like the epitome of woke what you just said so oh, really? <laughs> that, that that's that that describes the whole uh, kind of woke ideology. Oh, yes yeah, yes uh, yeah. in, in microcosm so we're um coming up on the hour now just over uh michael so um it'd be a good thing to leave our listeners the audience just um yeah with some some idea of hope but not hopium something they right. can uh something they can take away or maybe integrate into their own lives and uh, um, take forward. Because uh, I think that's always helpful, isn't it, with these, um, with mm. these discussions. It's very, it's um, quite straightforward to artic articulate the problem or issue, isn't it? But as we've been alluding to during this last hour, it's quite difficult to, you know, elucidate any of the answers or any of the things that we can do on an individual level. Um, so did you have any thoughts in that regard? Yeah, again, it's a nuanced yeah. a nuanced response, I guess I do have. You know, <clears throat> the ultimate expression of a man, a man's or a woman's purpose in life is to put into practice the potential that, that we've been developing. Um, and you, we do that based firmly in the truth of our nature, in mm. our true nature. Um, just to sum it all up, I mean, I mean that that and, and you know these are our core principles. Um, we never give that up. But the thing is, you know, when we're in a collapse scenario, um, when we're many leagues distant 
from the limits of that potential mm. um, through no fault of our, of our own. Um, and we're powerless to alter the rat maze, which impacts our lives. Um, you know, we have to approach it from a more spiritual perspective. Um, we're, we're powerless, in a sense, to protect the, the things that we take value in um, from, from time and change and chance. And what this does is it bumps us up against the limits of our existence. And there's, there, this is a learning opportunity, just like everything in life. Sure. Um, you know, if you have a spiritual perspective that we're here to learn the lessons of life, that's helpful. Um, I, I, I personally, I have a slightly different perspective on that. I, 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 I think it, I'm, when life presents you with a learning opportunity, I like to think of it as if the universe is presenting me with an opportunity to learn. Not necessarily that the universe definitely is presenting me with an opportunity to learn, but yeah. as if, as if yeah. the universe is presenting me with an opportunity to learn. Yeah. So, you know, like with the Gandhi approach to life, we can approach these times of impending auster austerity um, consciously, conscious idleness, as you suggested. Yeah. And that's not to say that this is going to be the way it's going to be forevermore. I mean, you, you also suggested that... Um, the ruling elite are probably going to implode on themselves at some point. This this is simply unsustainable, and I would agree. It really is. I mean, they they want to bring about uh, what they're calling a fourth industrial revolution, mm. and you know, as crazy as it sounds, they have this this uh, transhumanist agenda, this idea to merge man and machine um, by way of five G technologies, and that would allow them to control the minds of men um, so knowing that the the quest is to embrace our humanity and our divinity as an act of rebellion knowing that and so get off the internet go out and talk to real people touch some grass sing and dance embrace your humanity become feral um, now, the, the state of being feral is to recognize a former state of captivity. So um, if you can't uh, escape from your the, the material chains that are tethering you to this world, at least escape and recapture your humanity as best you can, either spiritually or emotionally or through your relationship with your friends and family and community. That, that would be my parting message. Oh, thank you. That's really... Um inspirational closing thoughts there thank you so much michael um i do apologize i should have given you the opportunity earlier you spoke to your book but you didn't actually share the title and how people can purchase um your book um yeah that'd be great if you could just share that with the audience oh thanks Anne. that's very nice right. of you. no problem um, it's called uh, modern masculinity for the conscious man um the subtitle is making sense in troubled times um and essentially, it gives a perspective of um, first and second and third person epistemics from um, a masculine perspective. So it's it's very good if you if um, if you're a young man or if you have a younger man in your life, it's kind of a guidebook if you like. It's it's a, it's a roadmap for living living in this world. Mm. Um, 
And uh, yep, uh, my name is Michael Ronan, and you can find it either on my website, which is michaelronan.net, and it's up on Amazon and Audible as well. Yeah, and I, I also just add for uh, the audience's benefit, for those who are slightly older, I'm uh, 50 in a few months' time, it's a, a thoroughly enjoyable read, and uh, for me, it kind of, um, it brought all of my research that I've done for the last 16, 17 years, it kind of coalesced it, co coalesced, or they coalesced yeah. uh, into a kind of body of understanding. Um, so, yeah, um, I think it's one of those books that will probably become more, no more known um, in the future, if that makes sense. Um, so prophetic in a way. Um, uh, I believe that's what it, it will probably happen. So thank you so much, Michael, uh, for appearing on Discerning Consciousness today. Uh, it's been a pleasure as always, because um, things just get more intense, don't they? More polarizing and um, more insane. But we try, we try to navigate, <laughs> we try to navigate the best we can. And yeah. thank you all. Um, for listening today thank you so much for taking um time out of your busy schedule uh that's really kind of you so um thank you again and um i'll speak to you all again very soon bye, -bye for now mm -hmm.